I asked Fred Goodwin if he would share this morning. Fred is, uh, if I could, someone asked me who Fred is to me, he's, he's like my pastor. You know, I, I, need, I need a pastor. And for the last two years or so, Fred has been, he's been my pastor. He's been a man who has, has poured a lot into me, has taught me a lot, challenges me a lot, helps me grow. He, he knows the Lord so well. And I'm not saying this to make him feel old, because he's not. He's not. Everything's relative. But Fred became a pastor the year I was born. And, uh, and so he knows a lot more than me. And the thing I love about Fred is he's not just a person who knows about God. He knows God. He walks with God. He's followed God faithfully for decades. And, uh, and, and he's got a, a lot of wisdom that God has shared with him. And I said, hey, man, will, will you talk this morning um, and just share with our church getting ready for Christmas? And he said, absolutely. So if you guys wouldn't mind, put your hands together for Fred as he comes out and shares with us. Okay. Good morning, family. I feel like I've been with you enough or worship with you enough to say family, and it's a nice feeling. And it always is to be back. And yes, after 35 years of working on Christmas Eve, Jill and I get the privilege of coming here and joining you in the, make sure we have two seats. We, we want two seats with you on Christmas Eve because we want to worship with you on Christmas Eve. Uh, it's a wonderful time of year, isn't it? And, and therefore, I want to say to you, Merry Christmas. Uh, it, it, it's that time, isn't it? Isn't this a great time of year? The lights, uh, the, the music, uh, people seem to be so pleasant. And, and how about all the Christmas movies? Aren't, aren't they fun? I mean, what, let's just hear from a minute. What's, what's a great Christmas movie? White, White Christmas. Yeah, I could, I could do the, the whole dance and sing every song. I was raised on that, that one. What else? Elf. Elf? Really? Yeah, Elf. Elf, a lot of fun. What else? It's a Wonderful Life. Well, that, yeah, that's, that's one of the classics. I have to admit, I would add to it Santa Claus, at least one and two, you know? I mean, just, there's some great movies, Polar Express, you know? I, I did a quick survey as I was pre preparing for this week. Uh, I found that Netflix, you can find 40 Christmas movies, just on Netflix. Can you imagine? If you shift over to Hulu, because they now own Lifetime, I guess, channel, there's 143 Christmas movies. Can you imagine? We, we don't have time for all of that. If you go to the new Disney Plus, woo, woo, pretty cool. Um, I counted 24 Christmas movies. There's a whole lot of Christmas movies this time of year. But, but you know what's interesting? I don't find any of them about Jesus. It's like a bait and switch. If I went to your, fam to your house and you said you wanted to show family videos, I would expect to see videos about your family. I wouldn't expect to see how Americans celebrate this. I'd expect to hear about this. I find it amazing how many movies actually use the term Christmas and they're not about Christ at all. And as you heard from Justin, there are so many people in our, even our neighborhoods who have no idea that Christmas isn't just about family. It's not just about having time off. It's not just about presents. It's not just about going in debt, God forbid. It's about Christ. The word Christmas, Christ itself means the anointed one. It's the same word as Messiah in Hebrew. It means the chosen one, the anointed one sent from God. The, the mess, M-A-S, uh, comes from the Latin dismissa, 
Let me explain where it comes from. Long before the Roman Catholic Church was the Roman Catholic Church, we're talking about the first centuries of the church, Christmas became significant. It was a celebration of Christ coming to us. The, the mus comes from the Latin dismissa, that after the service you were dismissed. What was the Christmas event? The church gathered as one. The leader would go and read from John chapter 1, the prologue of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And after he read that opening prologue, one would go and light the Christ candle, that big white candle in the middle of the Advent wreath, the one that had been long waited for. They'd light the white candle symbolizing Christ coming to this earth, the light of the world. And after the worship, they would be dismissed. That was Christmas. It's all about Christ coming for us. That's our story. You know, I was just 10 years old when I came around the corner, I, I'll never forget, came around the corner from our dining room into our living room, and I saw an entire room filled with packages. And I had the conscious thought at age 10, what is all this for? Why are there so many presents? Our story is not about how we celebrate an event that we make up because we cannot have Christmas without Christ. Our story is the most wonderful story of all and it's told from, well, way back at the dawn of time. Justin even mentioned last week the fall. Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve choose to not listen to God and do what we want to do. Thank you very much. And God steps in the garden. He turns to Satan as a serpent and says, one day, an offspring of hers will crush your head. Now, you know how to kill a snake. You may not like to, but there's times you got you got to. How do you do it? You crush the head. Oh, the, the body may still flop around, but the bite's gone. Oh, death, where is your sting? You see, the Christ comes to destroy the power of Satan in our lives. And if you think I'm exaggerating it a little bit, Paul even in, in his letter to the Romans, chapter 16, says the God of peace will one day crush Satan under your feet. You'll one day know he is a defeated foe. And when you get afraid and overwhelmed by darkness or pain or suffering, you've taken your eyes off the Christ. Yeah. And that's just Genesis chapter 3. I mean, flash forward into 2 Samuel. I hope you've got this chapter in one of your most favorite Old Testament readings because in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David goes to the prophet Nathan and says, I want to build a house for the Lord. And Nathan says, do what you want. It's a great idea. Until Nathan has a night with the Lord and the light says, no, no, David's got too much blood on his hands. But I will build his house. One day one of his sons from his line will be my son. And it'll reign forever. That's the promise. He's coming to reign. The celebration of Christmas is that he's come for us. To build a kingdom that we can be part of. That we can live in. Not with all the trappings of America. But as those who are redeemed to live with Christ. 
I mean, we can turn to even to Job. I mean, who, who would ever be asked to suffer as much as Job did? That, that portion of the Bible may be the oldest portion of Scripture. Some believe it's 2,000 years B.C. And Job has a horrible life for a long time. And then you find where his heart is in Job chapter 19. And he says, but for me, I know my Redeemer lives. He will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body is decayed, yet in my body, I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. For him, it was a thought. For us, 2,000 years after Christ, it's the reality. Our Redeemer lives. I've been a pastor at a lot of crises in people's lives. Deathbeds, serious surgeries with brain aneurysms, cancer, and the rest. Boy, there's all the difference in the world where I'm standing at the bedside and saying, what can I pray for? And that person just smiles and says, I know my Redeemer lives. Whether he calls me home now or I come back to this world to be more with my family, I just trust him. But that's a very different prayer in a very different environment than when someone's in panic and say, well, just pray that the doctors do what they should so I can come get over this. I'm going, really? That's all it is? There's no trust? How many times I've heard people pray, and it sounds more like Santa Claus than to God of the universe. We're just telling God what we want rather than trusting what he wants to do in us and through us. Job even knew that. And to go back to David with all the Psalms, I mean, he wrote. Somehow he knew. A thousand years before Christ, he knew that his God was the God of salvation. He knew that the Lord was his shepherd. And the language he uses in the, in the Hebrew is not just generic God, Yahweh. It's often what we translate into Adonai, the king. He says, I know my God is my king. That's the language we use for Jesus. In Psalm 103, he says, as far as the east is from the west, he puts our sins from us. Do you, do you understand how far that is? It's not north and south. If you go north far enough, you'll start going south. If you go west far enough, you'll always go west. It's amazing. Do you believe that? That all the brokenness, all the sin, all the selfishness, all the crap that you've had in your mind and your heart, it's gone because Christ has come for you. It's gone. <laughs> David, David somehow knew that. And later, he, he speaks about the one who will come and we will sing Hosanna, but he comes to bear our sins. Or how about Isaiah? I mean, five plus hundred years before Christ, he was told, he knew. You know the famous passage, don't we? I'll save you from breaking out into song. I won't do that, but for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders. Not the government that we have to deal with reading news every week, but the real government. And of him there'll be no end. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. His rule with fairness, or righteousness is a better word, with righteousness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. That's what he comes to do. 
born as a child, to be the son, capital S, son. And these are some of his titles. Now, in Scripture, you get about 130 names for God. Really, really do. Uh, but, but here we're given four powerful ones for the one who's going to be born in our midst. He's wonderful counselor. Do you understand why that's so significant? Because in the, the Greek, when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit coming, and it's to our advantage he's going to go back to heaven because he's going to give the Holy Spirit, the word he uses there is the paraclete, the parakletos. That word means comforter, encourager, counselor. The king, the wonderful counselor, counsels us through the Holy Spirit. As we worship and pray and study his word and, and around other believers and share life with them and we begin having something happen in our hearts and something happen in our minds and we go, maybe God's speaking to me. It's the Holy Spirit. It comes from the wonderful counselor. But, but he's not just the wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. That's what he was crucified for. He said, I and the Father are one. And they said, can't happen. We'll kill you. Huh. And he's the everlasting father. Paul, Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, he said that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That is, if you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. Because he is the everlasting father. He and the father are one. That's how it works. We didn't understand God the father, so he sent his son so we could see what that's like. That our God is love, not this romantic, silly love of, of Christmas movies that we have to agonize to get through, and we already know how the movie's going to end before it starts. Not that kind of romantic love, something much, much deeper. A love that we're told is patient and kind. It's not arrogant, it's not rude, it's not boastful, it doesn't insist in its own way. It bears all things. God loves you so much, he bears your life with you, and often we don't even notice why? Because he loves you. He loves you. This is the one who is coming for us. This is whose birth we celebrate. This is our most wonderful Christmas story. It's our story. It's our family story. And oh yes, he's also the Prince of Peace. This is not just peace, absence of fighting. We English speakers are too quick to run to that. That my circumstances will be all right because I'm with the Prince of Peace. No, the word in Hebrew is shalom. It means contentment. It means you're at peace because you know who you're with. That's far more powerful than any circumstance. Oh yeah, it's hard sometimes. Darkness can be very dark. But a darkness can be dispelled with a single flame. Is that flame within? Is the Christmas miracle the fact that you can never find the perfect gift for someone because it's already been given by God. He's come for us. He's given his life for us. He says, will you accept me? Will you let me guide your life? The Prince of Peace. Oh, and that was over 500 years before Christ came. How about Jeremiah? Jeremiah in chapter 31 said uh, that God's going to give us a new covenant. Not like the old one that we broke. Not the being good enough, Ten Commandments kind of covenant. But a covenant where he comes and gives us a new heart. And we can know God personally. Whoa. How about Ezekiel? That may not be one of your favorite books, but Ezekiel's got a lot of good stuff to say. Chapter 34, he says, the one who comes is going to be our good shepherd, the one who looks after us. 
He says in, in chapter 36 that his spirit is going to create this new heart in us. You know, we all need a heart transplant. We do. We need a mind transplant too. <laughs> Paul writes, uh, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We all need that because we're so selfish. We do want to open up the presence. So he comes to give us a new heart that is concerned about him and his world and people who are suffering. He gives us a new mind so we see things not from our perspective but from his. And Ezekiel told us that's why he's coming. So he could give us a new heart and a new spirit, a new life. He even says in chapter 37, he says, you know, even if you're dry bones. And, you know, we've all had that feeling, haven't we? We're just trying to survive a day. We feel we have no life at all. And we're told by Ezekiel, God will just breathe new life. And he does that. He does that. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus conquered death, he went to the upper room and he told the disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. What do you do next? He breathed on them. He said, do you think if Jesus breathed on you, you'd receive something? Have you received his breath this morning? He's here. If you receive. Now, maybe you're just covering up the, the, with a coat your heart and your mind because you don't want that. But risk it. He wants to breathe on you to bring you new life. That's our story. Oh, or how about, how about Daniel? I love Daniel. I've asked uh, to have Daniel put up. Uh, Daniel has an amazing message. Uh, in chapter, uh, chapter 7, he tells us eventually why the Christ has to come. And he has a vision of the Ancient of Days, whose clothing is as white as snow, his hair as pure as wool, and he sits on the throne. And in the vision continued, I saw someone like a son of man. It's interesting, son of man, because that's the term Jesus used to describe himself. More than any other term or title, Jesus used son of man when he was speaking about himself. And this son of man is coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one who was led, who, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Church, do you get it? He is the son of man. He has all authority in heaven and earth. That's why he can say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now you all go. And it is, it is, is he speaks in Southern. He says y'all. It is plural. It's not just for you pastors and just for you teachers, not just for you musicians. He says y'all go in my authority. Not your authority. Your authority is too small. You go in my authority, the name above every name. Whoa. And, and Daniel knew that. There's going to be one who is the son of man who's going to come and he has all authority in heaven and earth. And Jesus says, I'm going to show you how I get this. And he dies for us. And the father rises raises him. And then he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Here, receive my spirit. Whoa. And it's every nation. Has anybody here had a Christmas in another nation that's vastly different from our Western way of manipulating it? Anybody? Oh, I don't see any names. I don't see any hands. Okay, there's, there's one, two, three. I tell you what, when you're in a, a, a culture where there's no lights and no music and no Christmas trees, and the only packages you can find are ones that you may have carried in your bag. And you open them up for your wife. And you start a fire. And you sit on a mattress that you pulled off the floor. But you're together. 
and you're celebrating the Christ, and it's enough, because it's true. Everything we add is extra, but it's not the ultimate meaning. It's all about Christ. He comes to us. How about Micah? Micah tells us he's going to be born in Bethlehem. That's pretty cool, don't you think? Oh, by the way, folks, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So when you hear the story, know it's true, because it comes from God. Or how about Zephaniah? No doubt one of your favorite books. I was teaching on this this week, and I found people didn't know where Zephaniah was. And so I suggested the table of contents. And then I was a bit concerned because I still couldn't find it. <laughs> Little bitty book near the end of the Old Testament. But Zephaniah is a cool book. And, and this is what he says about the, what the Messiah will come to do for us. And, and I'm just going to read from chapter, chapter 3. Good, I've got Zechariah here. So give me a minute. I've got to get the other side of Habakkuk here. Uh, Zephaniah chapter 3. Great. I once saw this when I was a little kid. I saw the priest pastor unable to find the page he wanted to read in scripture. And I thought, well, if I'm ever ordained, I will know where, I to, where to go in the Bible. <laughs> and here I am, I can't find Zephaniah. Thank you, Lord, this is a lot of fun. <laughs> Be patient, I will find it. I know it's here, there it is. Two little pages, oh, I was close. Um, Zephaniah chapter three. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad. Rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. For the Lord will remove his hand of judgment. He will disperse the armies of your enemy. And the Lord himself, the King of Israel, will live among you. At last, your troubles will be over. You will never again fear disaster. On that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will come. Cheer up. Don't be afraid. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight over you with gladness. With his love, he will come all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Even goes on and says, on that day I will gather you together. I will bring you home. Hundreds of years before Christ came, God gave the word to Zephaniah. This is what Messiah wants to do for each of us. He wants to bring us home where we belong. Not playing the game that somehow money or status, or power, or sex, or success will somehow give us meaning and purpose. It's only going to be found in the one who comes to save us. Now, each of these verses are, are, are profound and significant for me personally. That's why I'm sharing with them with you. But, but this one has a special chord in me as a dad. You see, when my youngest was in eighth grade, he was playing soccer. And of course, eighth grade is age 13, so he's starting to deal with manhood and all those other kind of things. He was a forward in the, a good soccer team. And one of the defenders kicked the ball, and it caught him right between his legs. And guys, you know what happened next. He's on the ground, gasping for breath. And of course, as his dad, I went charging out on the field. So the umpire said, get off the field, sir. You have no right to be here. And I'm going, I'm his dad. <laughs> I'm his dad. So I backed up like this. And fortunately, I saw from the other side, the coach was running over to him. And I went, well, at least he's getting comfort from somebody. And the coach did something very strange got over him in a four-point stance over him like this. Well, that's pretty weird. I haven't seen ministry like that before. So after he eventually helped Kevin to get, to get to his feet, got him off to the side, cheers to the cold crowd, game went on. He eventually went back in the game. After the game, I said, Kev, what did the coach say to you? He said, well, he didn't say anything. I said, what do you mean he kind of got over you in a four-point stand? He said, well, Dad, he was 
singing over me so that no one would see me cry. We're told that God wants to sing over you. So you stop crying and start believing that he loves you that much. That's our Christmas story. That's, that's, that's our story. Amazing God. Amazing God. How about, how about Zechariah? I'll get that one quick because it's right here. Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 2. It's my favorite Christmas verse of, of all the Old Testament. Verse 13. Be silent before the Lord, all humanity, for he is springing into action from his holy dwelling. I like the RSV translation. It says he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. He's coming for us with purpose and intentionality. He wants us home with the Father because he loves us. But he's got to pay a price for our brokenness. So he sheds his blood. Now let me start, tell, tell you the story of how this verse came alive for me. Uh, don't think I mentioned it to you when I was with you before, but if I did, just forgive me for repeating a story. I'm too old to remember whether I shared it or not. I was up in New York doing a conference on how to give your testimony. It was, it was time in the, in the late afternoon on Saturday for people to come up and, and, and share. And, and the first woman, yeah, an elderly little old lady came up and said, um, can I share my story? And I said, of course. And she said, well, it was some years before. It was just before Christmas. And she was served divorce papers. She had no idea. The very next day, her best friend joins her, comes to the front door because they're going off Christmas shopping. And she sees her friend at the door, and, and her friend says, come on, let's go. It's so exciting, isn't it? It's Christmas. And this woman said, Christmas? Christmas means nothing to me. I've lost my husband. I've lost everything. And she ran into her bedroom and collapsed on her bed. She received the first and only vision in her entire life at that moment. At that moment, she saw two thrones, and she could tell they were in heaven. The father was seated on his throne, and to the next of him at his right hand was his son. The father turned to the son and nodded. The son stood, took off his crown, and placed it on his seat as though he was going to return. He began stepping off steps just like these, away from the throne room. As he did, she said, he appeared to be like a young man in his 30s. But as he did, blood began to pour out of the hands and the feet, and it covered the stairs. As he continued to walk down the stairs, he got younger and younger, until she recognized he was about age 12 when she remembered he had about, said he would be about his father's business. As she continued to watch, he became an infant child and stepped into the arms of his waiting earthly mother. She said, at that moment, I knew. Christmas means everything to me. I have a Redeemer. My brothers and sisters, so do we. That's our Christmas story. So, so why should we be surprised when Malachi comes along at the end of the Old Testament and says that God is sending a messenger to go before him. And Jesus himself said that messenger was John. And John said, John the Baptist said, I'm not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. This is the Holy One in our midst. So when the angel comes to Mary, says, Mary, you're going to have the son, your hiding favorite. And she says, what are you talking about? 
I'm a virgin. I, I can't have a child. How's that going to happen? All the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. With God, all things are possible. You do believe that, don't you? With God, all things are possible. So, look, God, all things possible. She says, maybe to me as you've said. And the angel departs. Until such time as it's time for the angels to sing. Glory to God at the highest. He's come. The millennium of waiting is over. He's come to the earth. Glory in the highest. Joy. Unspeakable joy. He's here. He's finally here. Well, let me just pause for a moment and ask. You do believe in angels, don't you? Well, that was pretty wimpy. I heard it from the first row and maybe the third, but that... You know, let me ask you a question out of the, uh, out of the Santa Claus movie. As the boy turns to his stepdad and says, well, Dad... If uh, you, you haven't seen a million dollars, have you? And his stepfather says, no, I haven't. He says, well, just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it isn't real. Does God have to prove himself to you by you seeing everything? Or can you risk believing that if it's in the word of God, it must be true somehow, even if we don't understand it? I'll tell you one of, my, one of our angel stories. I say my story. It's actually my wife's story. I have my own story, but I'll share you, with you hers. Um, some years ago when our kids were, were young, uh, we lived over by Johnson Ferry over in East Cobb, and uh, she was heading down uh, Johnson Ferry to go four miles or so to the bank. That was in the days when you actually went to the bank to make a deposit. Do you remember? Some of you remember those days. I know it's a historic event for some of you, but we actually went to banks, made deposits. A and she did that. And she, she pulled into the side street waiting for the light to change because she had to cross three lines of traffic to get northbound to come back to the house. And as she sat at the light, a voice behind her said, do not go forward when the light goes green. Well, she got startled, hair on the back of her neck, turned back, was certain one of the boys had crawled in the back and was trying to scare her. She realized she didn't see anyone. And my wife was smart enough and faithful enough to say, I guess I'm just going to trust that angel and see what happens. So the light turned green and she just waited. Sure enough, the, the, the first car closest to her coming down, Johnson Berry stopped the light, the second Stopped the light, but in the far lane, an SUV was flying by with a driver preoccupied and talking to her friend. Never saw the light had changed. Was flying through at full speed. Just where Jill would have been if she had moved forward with the green light. So when I got home that day, she said, Honey, an angel spoke to me and saved my life. See, I believe in angels. Because my kids have a mom. My grandkids have a, have a nana, and I have my wife, because an angel spoke. You know what? You don't, you may not have a, had an angel encounter, or you may have had hundreds of them, you just don't know, because often they look like, they look human. Because they come as messengers from God, and they're come to serve us. And don't you dare say again that someone's passing, well, I guess they're an angel now. No, they're not. We're not created to be angels. We're created to be sons and daughters. Angels are servants. Oh, we serve in a different way, but we're sons and daughters of the king. Princes are princesses of the king, but we'll, we'll make another. That'll be another message. So, so I, I guess I want to just pose and ask you. On Christmas Eve, after you go home and you're sitting with the kids or the grandkids, what story are you going to read? You're going to read a, 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 a comic little story about magic written by a wealthy landowner in New York in the 1820s who wanted to write an entertaining story for his children 
about St. Nick and reindeer? Clement Moore was just trying to entertain his, his family and wrote a cutesy little story. It's actually a gave the land for General Seminary to be built in New York. It's still there. He was one of their professors. He just thought it'd be fun to write a cute little story. It'd be 20 years before he finally admitted he had written it. You're going to read that? So it's the night before Christmas? Really? Are you going to give them what they need for life? Are you going to turn to Luke chapter 2 to read about the birth of our Savior? The birth of the Christ? The first Christmas, which changes our lives every single day. My brothers and sisters, this is our story. This is our story. And it's been told by prophets and, and by, by pastors. It's been told by, by, well, it's been told by missionaries. It's been told by mothers. It's been told by those waiting for a breakthrough and those who are celebrating the breakthrough. It's been told through all cult cultures for thousands of years, and it's our story. And we are surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people who don't know it's more than what we've created it to be. Let's stop pretending that we can have Christmas without Christ. Because the greatest thing we can share with our kids, the greatest thing we can share with our grandkids and neighbors and strangers is there is a hope, there's a joy, there's a love that is perfect. In nine days, we'll come and celebrate that. His name is Jesus.